the Community Service Society. Fighting poverty, strengthening New York. Welcome to a new episode of Fighting Poverty, Strengthening New York, a podcast from the Community Service Society that explores how policy, advocacy, and direct action can have a meaningful effect on the lives of low-income New Yorkers. I'm your host, Jeff Jones. In New York City, finding and holding on to an affordable place to live can be a daunting challenge in the best of times. But between 2000 and 2016, the city experienced rapid population growth, putting even more pressure on the limited housing options available, and creating nearly triple the number of homeless families. There are many factors that can lead to homelessness, but the lack of affordable housing options and high demand for what does exist are big ones. And a common event on the path to housing instability and homelessness is an eviction. Meet Daisy Young. My name is Daisy Young. I've been here going on 19 years. 19 years, January. Daisy's small two-bedroom apartment is on the fifth floor of a seven-story apartment building that covers nearly half a block of Webster Avenue in the Bronx. Sitting on the bed in her apartment's living room, which now functions as her bedroom since her mother moved in with Daisy and Daisy's 23-year-old daughter, she's all smiles and laughs, even when discussing her many struggles. People see me in the street, oh, you look so normal, so cute, and always jolly. My boyfriend called me Smurfette. No one would ever know I'm going through all this. I had gotten fired from my job. Um, I was a, a cook, and I got, you know, fired from that. And so, you know, my money just, you know, I had money to pay whatever until it ran out. You know, I went to public assistant. I got help from them and everything, but then it was like, okay, I can, we can only help you but so much. So now it's like you're on your own. So now it was just like, oh my God, what's next? You know, I had certain family members that will help, but you know, but like I said, they could help but so much. So then I was just like, okay, that's it. Now when Victor came in, I was like, oh my God, what is this? <laughs> you come home and you see that pink piece of paper on the, on the door. <laughs> it's like, oh Lord, that was. Daisy had been having serious health problems that made finding work nearly impossible, though she tried. But when she saw the eviction notice on the front door of her apartment. Oh my God, it's terrible. Cause the first thing I'm thinking is my daughter because I don't want her to feel stressed out because if dust falls on them, because now they feel a certain way, like, okay, you know, they won't say anything, but, you know, she has to go to school, you know, all her things are here, what she's gonna, you know, have to go through. Daisy felt like she had run out of options and could soon be forced from her home. Always looking to put her daughter first, Daisy knew she would have to do something for her, even if it meant being separated. Daisy looked to her daughter's father who lived nearby, you know, at, at one point I was like, Leah, you might have to pack up and go live with him while I go in the shelter. That was what I was going to do because I, I was going to lose this. I didn't have no other choice. I was like, what am I going to do? Either that or I don't know. I really didn't, didn't know what else to do. Daisy was facing homelessness, leaving her daughter and moving into a shelter. Then... A friend told her to call the Community Service Society, where she met Yvette. So my name is Yvette Gongon Bonilla, and I am the project director for the eviction prevention services here at Community Service Society's Income Support Services Unit. 
I am in charge of working with clients um, that are facing an eviction or need assistance with rent arrears. So basically we help them either with a month's rent um, or we help them to prevent the eviction. Funding is scarce for this kind of work, and the funding that CSS gets is often not enough to be of meaningful help to someone facing an eviction. But by joining forces with other nonprofit groups... CSS is part of um, an emergency rent coalition, and it's about 30 agencies that belong to that um, coalition. So we refer cases to one another, and we sort of bundle the arrears, right? Because most of the arrears, very few times do they only owe a month or two. Most of the times, clients owe a lot of money. So one agency clearly can't take care of it. So by working together with other members of the Emergency Rent Coalition, Yvette and the Income Support Services Unit put together the funds to help Daisy, much like she has done for hundreds of other New Yorkers facing eviction and possible homelessness over the years. Yvette said she is relieved to be able to help because she can only take on so many cases, and Yvette gets more than 40 calls a week from families desperate for aid. It can be incredibly hard to say no, she says, the people calling have all worked hard to keep things together, but... Something has just happened in their life, whether it's, you know, a split in a marriage, second income is lost, a death in the family. I had another lady that I saw yesterday. Her, her husband died. She has three kids. He was undocumented, so the children are not eligible for Social Security. So she's trying to survive, you know, four people on her income. It's hard. You know, that can happen to anybody. You know, you can have a death, you can have a car accident. I'm seeing a lot of work, workmen's comp cases. So, you know, things are happening to people, not just the ones that want to supposedly stay home and not do anything. When Daisy got the call from a vet with the good news, she was thrilled. I was like, yes, I got a home. <laughs> oh, it was just a load off. I was just so happy. I was just happy. Nothing hurt. <laughs> Like, I mean, I had a headache, Every, you know, because you're stressed out, so you're in pain, you have a headache, you're just like, I'm not hungry, I was hungry, <laughs> my appetite came back, I was just happy, you know, I was like, woo, relief, it was such a relief, like, okay, we're home, I called Leah right away, oh, we good, we stay, we all right, we got help, she was all good, like, okay, she was happy, you know, she was relieved, she was like, woo, you know, everything was like, okay, we good now. Since then, Daisy's mom moved in with her and helps with the rent, and her daughter is working and also contributes. Daisy, still dealing with injuries and illnesses, says she's waiting to be approved for disability, but at least she has a home to wait in. Daisy is lucky. According to the latest CSS analysis of eviction data, landlords filed 230,000 residential eviction petitions in New York City's housing court in 2017. City marshals executed 2,100 of those evictions. And while 2,100 is a lot less than the number of evictions filed, it doesn't mean that's all the people who lost their homes because of an eviction notice. An unknown number of people moved out before a marshal could show up, or, under pressure from the landlord's lawyers, settled under unfavorable terms that will probably only delay their eventual evictions. Or there are other reasons why the difference between the number of evictions sought by landlords and the number actually executed is so large could be indicative of the fact that landlords are filing evictions like some landlords are doing serial filing where they're just blanket like taking a building and filing an eviction for every single person and seeing which one sticks that's oksana miranova a housing policy analyst here at css she told me that while all cities have residents who experience evictions most often due to poverty 
New York has another issue that could motivate landlords to pull stunts like that. We talked a little bit how evictions are a function of poverty, and that's true, and that's why you see evictions in places that are not New York City or San Francisco, so like low-cost cities that haven't been ex- having been experiencing gentrification at a huge scale, like Baltimore or Detroit, and, and New York as well have eviction crises um, that look different from the eviction crisis in New York City. What happens in New York is, so you have this existing problem of evictions in poor neighborhoods. Um, When those neighborhoods start gentrifying, evictions kind of become a tool that landlords can use against their tenants. This is because of New York City's unique rent stabilization laws. Laws that can help keep apartment rents lower than the going rate for long-term tenants. So there's a a million units, about a million units of rent stabilized um, apartments in New York. In neighborhoods that are gentrifying, there is a huge incentive for landlords to get long-term tenants out. And there's these loopholes in the rent stabilization law that exist that make that easier. So if you live in a rent-stabilized apartment, you could, your rent could only go so much. If you're a long-term tenant and you're evicted, then or if, you're, if you just leave, uh, the landlord could raise the rent by about 20%. This is something called uh, the vacancy bonus. And once rent hits $2,700, the unit could leave rent stabilization and you could raise the rent as much as you want. So this creates a huge incentive for landlords where um, if rents in unregulated buildings all around your building are going up really quickly, there's an incentive for you to get long-term tenants out so you could also raise the rent and then eventually leave rent stabilization and charge as much as you want. The landlords can also raise the rent even more if they do certain improvements to the apartment after the tenant has been evicted. When the rents in a neighborhood around a rent-stabilized building shoot up due to new, wealthier residents, finding a way to get rid of long-term rent-stabilized tenants to cash in on the rent increase can be very tempting. So what do we do? Well, in the long term, Oksana says we need to close these loopholes, like the vacancy bonus, that incentivize landlords to push tenants out. But one big step has been taken already. It's a law that builds on rent stabilization. So basically, New York City has a housing court, which lots of cities in New York State don't. And that's specifically a place where you could go. You go to either get your landlord to get repairs done or uh, where landlords go to evict tenants. And because it's a civil court, there's no guarantee of representation in the way that um, you're supposed to have a lawyer if you go, if you have a criminal case. So right to counsel extends the guarantee to legal representation to um, tenants who have a case in housing court who make under 200% of the federal poverty line. And the reason why the Right to Counsel Coalition, which is being led by tenant groups, um, identified this as uh, something that's important is because they found that um, lots of people, lots of tenants were coming to housing court and were being pressured by their landlord's attorneys to sign deals that they didn't really understand and were, because of that power imbalance, kind of getting, getting forced out of their apartments, even though the law was actually on their side. This new law is being rolled out over the next few years. So while right now it's only available in a handful of zip codes, by 2022, all New Yorkers who make under 200% of the federal poverty level will have legal representation available to them in housing court, making that process a little more fair.
And then, on a warm day in September, we joined housing advocates and city council members Mark Levine and Vanessa Gibson on the steps of City Hall to talk about the introduction of a new bill that will expand the right to counsel even more. This expansion, dubbed Right to Counsel 2.0, will give more New Yorkers access by, among other changes, including everyone who earns up to 400% of the federal poverty level, meaning a lot more rent-stabilized tenants will have the help they need when facing an eviction. We're going to go after this with the same gusto and passion that we used to win the last fight. We're not going to stop till we win. More policy change needs to be done to keep low-income New Yorkers in a stable home, but some real progress is being made. That's it for this edition of Fighting Poverty, Strengthening New York. Check out our webpage at cssny.org slash podcast to hear other episodes. And more are coming soon, so stay tuned.